0: This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Good morning and welcome to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. The podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. This is episode 229, entitled, Jesus' Sonship Announced at His Baptism. And my name is Dustin Smith. As always, I will be your host. Now, in our previous episode, we demonstrated that the New Testament authors looked at the birth of Jesus. That is, the moment when Jesus came into existence. And these authors described Jesus' birth as the birth of a son. Now, since God is the father of Jesus... Naturally, Jesus is the Son of God, Son of God by birth. However, attributing sonship to Jesus in light of his coming into existence at his birth is not the only way that New Testament authors used Son of God language. In this week's episode, we will explore in detail another way that the New Testament authors portrayed Jesus' sonship, looking specifically at his baptism and the voice from heaven that authoritatively announces that Jesus is God's son. So here's some questions I would like to explore in this particular episode. First, why is the baptism of Jesus the first notable deed attributed to his ministry in all four of our new testament gospel accounts second is the announcement of jesus sonship a minor event in the gospels or is it something at which readers and the crowds are supposed to take a serious look number three what is the purpose of the spirit of god that anoints jesus for his mission and messianic role And lastly, how does the Gospel of John portray the baptism of Jesus in a unique way when compared to the three synoptic Gospels? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is looking at Mark's account of Jesus' baptism. Now I'm beginning by looking at Mark instead of Matthew because most scholars have concluded that Mark is actually the earliest gospel, and Matthew used Mark as a source in order to write Matthew's account. So I'm starting with the earliest gospel, which is Mark, and then we'll go to Matthew and Luke. It could be argued that they're both written around the same time, and John is understood by most scholars as being the latest of the four gospels written. So that'll be the order in which we look at these particular accounts of Jesus' baptism. This is not to suggest that one is better than the other, or that the earlier account is more authentic than the later accounts. It's just to try to look at these things from a historical perspective. So Mark's account of Jesus' baptism is in Mark chapter 1, and it's covered in three verses. I'm going to start in Mark 1, verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens you are my beloved son in you i am well pleased it's mark chapter 1 verses 9 through 11 now this account typically gets read over fairly quickly by casual readers of the bible but it's meant to be a fairly significant portion of mark's gospel and in determining the authority that jesus has So the voice from heaven announces that Jesus is my son, my beloved son. And in doing so, this voice is echoing the language from Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is that coronation psalm that celebrates the enthronement of a king. Yahweh enthrones a human king on Mount Zion. Mount Zion is the poetic way of describing Jerusalem. So it's very likely to be the Davidic king. So in Psalm 2, verses 6-7, it says, As for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. So in Psalm 2, we have the installation of the king on Zion. And that is the day that God has, quote-unquote, begotten a son. And the announcement there is that you are my son. So the enthronement of a king, or the coronation of a king, the installation of a king, is described with language of God becoming the father of this king, and this king receiving the title son. Son of whom? Well, Son of God. So in Psalm 2, 7, the announcement that you are my son, this is the receiving of the title Son of God. That clearly refers to the king, to the Israelite king. And so when we see in Mark the announcement that you are my son, this is deliberately echoing the language from Psalm 2. God is... Installing Jesus for his role as the King, as the Messiah, as the Christ. He is being anointed for his ministry. And that anointing is coming through this anointing service, which is a baptism. But of course, it's also the reception of the Spirit. And so Jesus is anointed publicly. He is coronated in that sense. And he is installed for his role as the king, as the Messiah, as the anointed one. So that's why this passage is very significant. And it's very important that we take the clue that Mark is giving us in that the language of you are my son, the beloved, which is how the Greek actually reads, you are my son, my beloved, that language is primarily drawing off psalm 2 it's drawn from a couple of other places but we'll leave that for another episode of the podcast now mark's readers might already be aware that jesus is the son of god prior to reading this particular passage because of the opening verse of mark's gospel mark chapter 1 verse 1 says the beginning of the gospel of jesus christ the son of god now i said that mark's readers might already be aware of this particular point because the phrase at the end of verse 1 which says that Jesus Christ is a son of God that phrase son of God appears in about half of the early manuscripts and it is missing from the other half of the early manuscripts so it might be original it might not be original You could make an argument either way. You could make the argument that it was original and it was accidentally cut off or that it wasn't original and a helpful scribe decided to add it on in order to clarify something as to what the Gospel of Mark is trying to convey. And it's pretty clear that the Gospel of Mark is certainly trying to convey in a very intentional way that Jesus is the Son of God. But it's Abundantly clear that Jesus is announced authoritatively to be the son of God at his baptism and The way that this baptism is described Uses some very provocative language. It says that the heavens were opened and In the Greek, it's much more drastic than this. It describes the heavens being ripped open And it uses a Greek verb schizo, where we actually get the English noun schism for a dispute. And the only other occurrence in the Gospel of Mark where this verb schizo appears is in Mark 15, verse 38, where at the death of Jesus on the cross, within the Jerusalem temple, the veil to the temple is ripped using that verb schizo, which, of course, indicates that God is the one that ripped it, and that indicates that something which has been closed is now abundantly open. And that is the impression that we get here in the baptism account. We can see that the heavens were being ripped open. It's this powerful apocalyptic image that... God is disclosing himself in this powerful way to authorize Jesus for his messianic mission, to publicly indicate that Jesus is now anointed to be the Son of God, that is, to be the Christ. Now, you might get the impression from reading Mark's account that Jesus is the only person who saw this. It says in Mark 1.10 that he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. You could read that as if only Jesus is the person who saw this. Well, obviously the author here knew about it. and was able to read about it. But we get the impression as we continue to read through the Gospel of Mark that Mark assumes that the crowds should be aware that this took place. So, when Jesus, in Mark chapter 11, rides into Jerusalem in the final week of his earthly ministry. Jesus refers back to this episode, to where John baptized him. And listen to this particular account, because it indicates that those who witnessed this particular fact, that John had baptized Jesus, and Jesus received the apparently open and clear-as-day announcement from God that he is God's Son, that is, he is the Messiah, the Christ, then that, of course, indicates the sort of authority that Jesus has to do all of these interesting things in the temple. So look at this account here in Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 27. They came again to Jerusalem, And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him and began saying to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or, who gave you this authority to do these things? Note there that the issue regards the authority that Jesus has and the identity of the person who gave Jesus this authority. Now, readers, we already know that Jesus has authority because he really is the Messiah. He's the Christ. And who gave him that authority? Well, God gave him that authority because the voice of God was heard from heaven that announced that Jesus is God's son. And look at how Jesus responds to this. Verse 29, Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question and you answer me. Then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. They began reasoning among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Then why did you not believe him? What shall we say, from men? They were afraid of the people, for everyone considered John to have been a real prophet. Answering Jesus, they said, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, nor will I tell you what authority I do these things. It's Mark 11, verses 27 through 33. And hopefully you caught the connection that Mark is trying to make. Jesus is wanting to answer their question about the authority, but he does it in a roundabout way. He does it by asking about the baptism of John. Did John have the authority of God to... Perform these baptisms? Was he an authentic prophet? Was John's baptism from heaven? Meaning, was John authoritatively sent by God? And if the answer is yes, then that indicates that John, who baptized Jesus, which led to the event of the voice from heaven announcing that Jesus is the Son of God, then that would indicate why Jesus has this authority. He has the authority because he is the Israelite Messiah. And who gave him that authority? Well, God gave him that authority. And there they would have their particular answer. Of course, they don't want to answer that particular question. And in doing so, they're not able to put together the pieces as to why Jesus claims to have the authority to change the temple. Because the Israelite king has authority over the temple. That was in Israelite religious thought at the particular time. So you can see that from Mark's perspective the episode of Jesus' baptism is not meant to be this sort of minor event that's a one-off thing no it's very clear that it indicates that Jesus very clearly is the Messiah he is the Son of God he has this authority as the agent of God to perform the Messianic mission and it is alluded to in a very clear way later in the gospel, towards the end of Jesus' ministry in Mark chapter 11. So the baptism of Jesus is a extremely important part of the gospel of Mark. So let's move on and look at Matthew's account of Jesus' baptism. We're going to look in Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answering said to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him, And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. That's Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Now, Matthew has used Mark's version of the baptism account, and Matthew has authoritatively made a couple of changes to it. First of all, he's indicated that the baptism of Jesus by John was something that was understood as a little scandalous. Why would someone as important as Jesus be baptized by someone like John? Usually it is the superior person that is baptizing the inferior person. Why is it the other way around here? And so Matthew answers that particular question with the comment about John and Jesus talking about who has need to be baptized by whom. We also note in Matthew's account that the language that was used by Mark to where Jesus seemed to be the only person that saw the heaven's opening, that sort of language has been shifted to indicate that this was a very public event, to not give the wrong impression. I don't think that Mark wanted the readers to get the impression that only Jesus is the person that saw this, because when Jesus spoke in Mark chapter 11 to the scribes, and the elders he seemed to indicate that John's baptism of Jesus and what happened afterwards was something that was understood by the crowds so we have here basically the account of Jesus baptism which has John baptizing Jesus it happened in the Jordan we have the same voice this is my son my beloved in whom I am well pleased and the Spirit of God descending upon Jesus as the Spirit that anoints him for his messianic ministry. Now, unlike Mark, Matthew is going to follow up this particular account with a much more elaborate version of the wilderness temptation, Mark will describe the wilderness temptation after the baptism of Jesus with only a few verses. Matthew is going to give a much more extensive account of the wilderness temptation. And in doing so, we actually see that the title, Son of God, is called into question from the very first trial. And so we have, in the ordering of Matthew's gospel, we have the baptism of Jesus and immediately afterwards we have the temptation of Jesus and so in Matthew chapter 4 starting in verse 3 it says that the tempter came and said to him if you are the son of God command that these stones become bread and Jesus responds by saying man shall not live on bread alone but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God That's interesting that the response of Jesus indicates that he believes himself to be a man. He says, man shall not live on bread alone. He sees himself as a human being, a member of the human race, as someone who is obedient to the words and the commands that come out of the mouth of God. But the temptation there is, are you really the Son of God? You've been anointed as the Son of God. It has been announced with the voice from heaven, that you're the Son of God. But if you are really the Son of God, then you can perform this particular trial and temptation. And this temptation regarding if you are really the Son of God continues in Matthew 4, verse 10, where the tempter said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from this pinnacle of the temple which is on top of the holy city and jesus of course responds by saying you shall not put the lord your god to the test so that of course occurs in matthew chapter 4 basically the section there is verses 1 through 7 so it seems that the announcement of jesus being the son of god is something that matthew wants his readers to understand is extremely important and it comes under extreme scrutiny and testing right after the event takes place. And Jesus succeeds from these trials and temptations, and it is indicated that he is the Son of God. He is the Messiah, the anointed King of the Jewish people. Now, this is not the only temptation that, Matthew is going to include, there's actually a final temptation at the end of Matthew's gospel when Jesus is on the cross. And this account is actually not in Mark's gospel, but it is in Matthew's gospel. So in Matthew 27, starting in verse 39, it says that those who were passing by were hurling abuse at him, at Jesus, wagging their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself if you are the son of god come down from the cross it's matthew 27 verses 39 through 40 and it's that language if you are the son of god which repeats the language of the temptations from earlier in matthew chapter 4. so the temptation there is that hey if you really do have authority as the son of god as the messiah over the temple then of course you'll have the authority to come down from this crucifixion. So, from Matthew's perspective, Jesus is anointed as the Son of God, and that language of Son of God is called into question in the various accounts of his temptation, both in the wilderness and at the cross. Matthew uses a lot of the same accounts of Jesus being described as the Son of God, as Mark does. I'm not going to look at all those for the sake of time. But it indicates that, just like Mark, Matthew is placing the baptism of Jesus, for the voice from heaven announces that Jesus is anointed with the title Son of God. And this is meant to be an authoritative announcement of the role and the messianic authority that Jesus has. And this, of course, is meant to be foundational for the ministry of Jesus. It's what launches his ministry, his baptism, and his anointing. Let's move to our third point, which is Luke's account of Jesus' baptism. Luke's account is recorded in two verses, Luke chapter 3, verses 21 through 22, which says, Now when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came out of heaven, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. So very similar language to what we see in Matthew and Mark. In fact, when you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the language of the Spirit uh, slightly changes. It goes from the Spirit to the Holy Spirit to the Spirit of God. Those all effectively mean the same thing. It's just stylistic variation. Luke also seems to give the impression that this was a public event. The language is that heaven was opened, not that Jesus was the person who saw that only, but this was something that everyone else was able to see. Of course, the voice from heaven indicates that you are my beloved son. You are my son, the beloved one, which is echoing the language from Psalm 2 to where the king is coronated for his royal role. Jesus is anointed by the Spirit, thereby he is the anointed one. He is the Christ. He is the Israelite king. And then Luke also, like Matthew, records the account of the temptation where Jesus is questioned as to whether he really is the Son of God. And Luke has an account of the temptation of Jesus that is very similar to Matthew's account. The ordering is a little bit different for some stylistic reasons, but Luke is giving the much more fuller version of the temptation, which answers the question if Jesus really is the Son of God with an affirmative yes in a much fuller way when compared to our earliest gospel looking at mark now luke has an account of one of the exorcisms performed by jesus which gives some confirmation to the title son of god that it actually refers to the messiah so in luke chapter 4 verse 41, it says that demons were also coming out of many, and the demons were shouting, you are the Son of God. But rebuking them, Jesus would not allow them to speak, because they knew him to be the Christ. That's Luke 4 verse 41. So what we can see is that the demons, these supernatural entities, as they're being exercised, as they're coming out of the many people, these demons are announcing their intelligent recognition that Jesus is the Son of God. This is not something that most people are willing to admit at this particular point in the narrative of the Gospel of Luke, but the demons understand this theological point. But Jesus does not want this to be public knowledge just yet, so Jesus rebukes them, specifically because they knew him to be the Christ. And so what we can see there is that Son of God is a title that means Christ. It means the anointed king. That's what Christ means. It means the anointed king of God's kingdom. So we can see the confirmation there given by Luke that when Jesus is baptized and announced to be the Son of God, that this is meant to be a title given to Jesus that indicates that he is the Israelite king, he is the anointed one, he is the Christ. And that confirmation comes from the account of the exorcism of these various demons. Let's move to our fourth and final account, which is the gospel of John, John's account of Jesus' baptism. So John's account is going to be slightly different from what we see in the Synoptic Gospels, and I think that's pretty fascinating. Let's look at what John has to say. This is John chapter 1, starting in verse 29. And this account is going to refer to someone named John, but this is not the author of the fourth gospel. This is going to be John the Baptist. So starting in chapter 1, verse 29, it says, The next day he, that is John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man, who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit, descending as a dove out of heaven, and it remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. That's John chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. So this is a very interesting account. John is telling the readers, this is John the Baptist, is announcing and saying to the readers that as he has baptized Jesus, that he is the one that witnessed the Spirit descending out of heaven and remaining upon Jesus. And The one who sent John, that's God, God the Father, the only true God. The one who sent John said that this particular person upon whom the Spirit descends, this is the one that is going to be baptizing in Holy Spirit. And then John is the one in the fourth gospel that testifies that Jesus is the Son of God. So it's a little bit different from what we see in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it is God himself who announces from the open heavens that Jesus is the Son of God. And here we have the authoritatively commissioned prophet, John the Baptist, who baptized Jesus. God indicates to John the Baptist that Jesus is this messianic person, and John is the one who is able to give the authoritative announcement that Jesus is the Son of God. So in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the voice comes from heaven. And in the Gospel of John, that voice from heaven tells John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is the one that says that Jesus is the Son of God. So it's a little bit different. It's much more stylized in the Gospel of John. And there are a lot of other interesting things in this passage that we can spend the time talking about, but unfortunately we are running out of time for today's episode. But the key point here is that the beginning of the Gospel of John, the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, indicates, just like Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that Jesus was baptized. John is the one that baptized Jesus. The Spirit came down and anointed Jesus for his messianic role, and Jesus is authoritatively announced and given the title that he is the Son of God. And the Son of God, of course, refers to the Messiah, refers to the Israelite king. And John, of course, makes clear something that readers should very clearly see is that Jesus, the one here who is baptized, is a man. He's a human being. John, who has been authoritatively sent by God, authoritatively says that Jesus is a man in John chapter 1 verse 30 this man has a higher rank than I Jesus is a highly authorized and highly empowered human being a member of the human race and the last thing i want to say about the gospel of john is that the announcement by john the baptist that jesus is the son of god in John 1:34 is actually The first occurrence of Son of God language within the Gospel of John, and this Son of God language confirms the very Christological title that the book's purpose statement lists. So the Gospel of John has a purpose statement. It's not at the beginning of the Gospel of John, it's at the very end. It's in John chapter 20, verse 31, which says, These have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That's John 20, verse 31. So the purpose statement of the Gospel of John indicates that the things were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. The Son of God means the Christ, the one who is anointed as the Israelite king. So there you have it. We see in all four Gospels that Son of God language is used to describe Jesus at his baptism. It's authoritatively offered as a title for Jesus to refer to his messianic role and vocation, and that voice ultimately comes from God, either out of heaven or through the mouth of one of God's authorized prophets, namely John the Baptist. So thank you for listening to this week's episode. Please join us next week as we look more closely at how Jesus is the Son of God Because of his resurrection and his ascension to the right hand of God. Some New Testament authors like to describe this act of Jesus being enthroned at God's right hand after his resurrection. In terms of Jesus being the son of God. That of course is very significant and important. So please look forward to our next episode. If you enjoy our podcast, please consider supporting us as we promote the important truths about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. You can support us free by subscribing on iTunes and YouTube, by giving us an honest review, and by sharing your favorite episodes with your friends. If you'd like to donate to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast by keeping it on the air, you may check out the link to PayPal in the episode's description. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is produced and edited by Dustin Williams. I am Dustin Smith, your host. Until next time, please take care.